Good morning. Can vive. Oh, man. Wow. Okay. We got to work on that then. We got to re-educate you. So for those of you who don't know, I'm Tony Elswick and uh, formerly a missionary to Latin America and now a pastor here. And so we're glad that you're here. And so what I just did and uh, didn't totally work is a little Hispanic uh, call and response. Uh, and so I'll say, quien vive, which means who lives. And then you guys say, Cristo, which is Christ. So let's try it again. Quien vive? Ah, see, now it works. Ah, que bueno. Yeah. I've tried it in English, and it just doesn't, it doesn't land like that. You know, it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't work. So we're going to do it in Spanish. So there we go. We are uh, been um, yeah, moving back to the United States and um, coming here. And I just want to say that as we've been transitioning, we have uh, felt uh, a lot of love and welcome from you guys and uh, a lot of enthusiasm for what we'll be doing. And we are very appreciative of that. And so thank you for that. Uh, today we're going to be continuing in our series in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It's going to be behind me. It's also going to be in your worship folders, uh, and it's in your Bibles as well. Uh, and so if you want to have those ready, we're going to be looking at it a little bit later too. So uh, starting verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might." That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. Let's say uh, this together. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of the God stands forever. Amen. So early Christianity, life as an early Christian, was a bit weird. Uh, so here we have Paul, who's in prison in Rome, writing a letter to the Ephesians, who were also uh, just a small minority in their city. So here's Paul, who started off, he had a, a, a career ahead of him, he was going to be a Pharisee, things were going well for him, and probably he never imagined, uh, when he was younger, that one day he would be in a prison in Rome. And that he's writing a letter to these Ephesians, who, uh, Ephesus was a town dedicated to uh, the Greek goddess Artemis. And they were very heavily involved in that. And he's writing to these Christians who've given up a lot to follow Christ. And he's encouraging them in their faith to kind of be more like him who's in prison. Right? This is, is really what uh, Drew sometimes talks about, a life of downward mobility. Right? Things were going well, and now he's in prison, and he's saying, yeah, be like me. 
Reminds me one time I was talking to some guys who were trying to encourage me to exercise more. And they started talking about all the great things about exercise. And then they started talking about their bad ankles, their bad knees, their bad backs, their bad shoulders, their old sports injuries. I'm like, listen, I have no old sports injuries and Oreos are delicious, right? This, this is a hard sell. But it works because they believe in something greater. They believe in something worth all the sacrifice. Paul gives up stuff in this world. Why? Because he believes in the power of God and the resurrection for the next world. So the people in Ephesus and the surrounding areas to where this letter was written, they had problems. And their problems are compounded by their faith. That's why they need encouragement. That's why they need this letter. They have their normal problems of everyday life, and it's made worse because they're Christians. So in the ancient world, finances were a big problem. They were, people were very afraid of that. I don't know if anybody else has any uh, experience in that, but they did, right? They felt very nervous about it. There was no safety net in the ancient world, and so you could actually starve. You were in danger of starvation if things didn't go well. Uh, you could have to sell your family into slavery, Supposing you weren't already a slave. I mean, things were precarious. But then as Christians, they were kind of cast out of the normal society because the normal society was centered around the pagan worship of Artemis. And they didn't like the Christians who didn't want to keep on, you know, hurt the sale of their idols and stuff. So they were, they were cast aside. So they had financial problems that were normal, but additional problems because they were Christians. They had health problems. Medicine in the ancient world, not great, right? It just wasn't very good. And then as Christians, they faced even increased difficulties because sometimes there was violence against them. I mean, Paul was stoned, right? And when he was stoned, after he was stoned, they didn't take him to a hospital where he got x-rays and all his broken bones were, were healed properly. I mean, they faced real trouble. They got sick. They got beat. There was real consequences. They got family issues. They were nervous about their families. Their families could cast them out, and that was their safety net. That was their, their friends, their community. They were nervous about the future, what was going to happen for their kids in this pagan area. They probably had some disappointments because Christianity started off with a bang, and now they're still there as a small minority. They had identity issues. They were once proud Greeks, right? They were once proud Ephesians, sold out to, to this pagan god, and now they're not. And of course, they replaced that with Christianity, but that had to be a little weird and off-putting for these people. They had the regular problems that normal people face, but it was compounded by their faith and by their decision, the call to live a life of downward mobility. And so Paul writes to them, to encourage them. And at the beginning of the book, he's encouraging them with the realities of who God is. And then he moves into this, into this prayer for them where he prays that their eyes would be enlightened right, for the hope to which he is, that they were called, to the riches of his glory. And then in verse 19, it says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He wanted them to see the power of God. 
what I found interesting when I, when I read that is that when he was talking about the power of God, he was pointing to the resurrection. Sometimes we want splashier uh, evidences of God's power. When I was in Panama and going to the jungle, we had to prepare for different eventualities, you know, what, what might happen. So we had to prepare for, you know, what happens if we run out of water? What if we have to have, uh, you know, safety things. What happens if we get alone and we're separated? Uh, so we had to get a whistle. What happens if you get injured? How are we going to get out? How are we going to notify the wives and all those type of things? And then we had to prepare for what happens if we have a run-in with a witch doctor? And that's not a normal thing that I worry about on a day-to-day basis, but in the jungle, uh, that is a thing that you have to think about. What's going to happen? So, of course, we prayed, and we read stories. I read some stories about some missionaries who had been there, who, who were actually still there, and their stories of their run-ins with witch doctors, and it was scary and crazy and interesting. And so after we'd gone there a couple of times, I met with one of them, and he was an old-timer who went out there, uh, in the early 80s, one of the pioneering guys, and he says, listen, you, there's, there's going to be witch doctors there, even if you haven't seen them yet. He said, sometimes they don't come out now uh, quite so frequently because uh, they've learned that they don't have power over the Christians, and so they've lost these showdowns with Christians, and so now they don't come out. And so then I started thinking, well, what are these showdowns? Right, because in my mind, I'm thinking Elijah, right? Mount Carmel, we get fire, boom, yeah, all right. Get someone's cell phone camera catching that. Yeah, you can raise money on that, right? That's not really what he meant, but that's what I had in my mind, something big and something splashy. The Ephesians might have initially have thought that too, because when uh, Paul first went to Ephesus, some, there were some amazing miracles. There was handkerchiefs that would touch Paul and then heal, heal people. There was aprons that were healing people. There was demons cast out. And one of the funny stories of the Bible, there's these guys who weren't believers, try to cast out a demon in the name of Paul's God. And the demon says, I know Jesus. I've heard of Paul. and I don't know you. And then they beat him up, stripped him naked, and the guys had to go run off. That's what I was afraid was going to happen in the jungle. I mean, you don't really want that to happen anywhere. It just seems like it'd be a little worse in the jungle. I guess fewer people to see it, but more spiders. I don't know. For what it's worth, I didn't end up having to do that, because the community didn't have a witch doctor. Years ago, he had moved to another community, got saved, and he was working as a holistic medicine guy, you know, with plants. And so... That ended that, no, no splashy newsletter. And somehow, though, that miracle that this witch doctor would get saved and change the way he did business was less impactful in my mind than fire from heaven. Because we want to be there. Even if I, had, if I could tell you the story of when I led the witch doctor to Christ, right, then that would be some sort of thing. But just hearing about it secondhand kind of loses... I don't know, it's oomph. The resurrection was a pretty splashy miracle when it happened. It was a pretty big deal. There were a lot of witnesses to it. He's, hundreds of people saw him after he raised from the dead. But sometimes when we think about that as the evidence of God's power, that loses its oomph. 
We, we wish that we could see the surveillance video of the tomb, right? Like if Indiana Jones could just find that in the same cave that had the Holy Grail, then we would be okay. But we don't have that. Instead, what we have is the evidence in the Gospels. And I think the reason why the Gospel evidence sometimes doesn't have the same power in our lives is because there's a lot of misunderstanding of, of what went on when the Gospels were written. I had somebody to ask me one time, how, how can you believe something that was written in the Middle Ages by some monks you know, hundreds of years later? Well, that would be hard to believe, and I don't have to because that's not when the Bible was written. The Bible was written, especially the, the Gospels, during the lifetimes of the witnesses of Christ. So even the non-evangelical dating of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have it within the time frame, the lifespan of the first witnesses. And they actually say that there was an earlier document that they were based off of. So, so there were witnesses to all this stuff. That's what the writer of Hebrews was saying, that there was witnesses. We heard this. We saw things. There was witnesses to what had happened. Sometimes, though, we think that the ancient people were just a bunch of cavemen, completely unsophisticated serfs digging in the mud. But that's, that's not the case. That's not who these first Christians were. Every year at Passover, thousands of Jews from all over the empire would go back to Jerusalem to worship. And so now if Paul had come or some other Christians had come talking about Jesus, what do you think they did when they went back to Jerusalem? They started asking questions. Is there really a Lazarus? Right? Lazarus was walking distance from Jerusalem. Can I go see? Did he really get raised from the dead? And then they say... No, that never happened. Well, it happens. The Gospels get nowhere because the people are alive. They would hear the story. They'd say, no, that didn't happen. Say, hey, have you heard of Jesus? And they'd say, no, he didn't exist. I've never heard of that guy. What happened? Nothing. Nothing would have happened. We wouldn't be here today. What if they said, hey, do you know where Jesus is buried? And they're like, yeah, right over there. Go talk to Joseph of Arimathea. That was his tomb. If the early evidence was there, if there weren't real witnesses to this happening, it wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So we can believe in this. We can have confidence in this. I mean, notice that when uh, the apostle, uh, in the epistles, when Paul's writing, he's never dealing with people who say that Jesus was just an outright fraud. Right? He's dealing with people, Judaizers, who come and tell them to be, to be Jews and all that stuff. But he's never dealing with fraud. Never that he didn't exist. Why? Because there was evidence to this. The, uh, the, the earliest kind of critiques that we do have of Jesus say that he was a sorcerer. Why do they say he was a sorcerer? Because he did miracles. They couldn't, they couldn't hide the miracles. And that the disciples robbed the grave, you know, robbed Jesus' body from the tomb. So that's what they said. So, okay. Well, maybe, you know, the guys who were so afraid of men with clubs after Jesus died, you know, they fled from Jesus where they had clubs and then they come together, they, they, they form this great lie and conspiracy, and they go and they decide to become like ninjas, right? And, and steal the body away from the Roman guards. And then what? There's witnesses to the resurrection. So they parade the body around like weekend at Bernie's, you know, ancient weekend at Bernie's. Hey, look at Jesus. And for what? For a life of downward mobility? I mean, when we know of people who've created religions and stuff, what do they get? They get money, power, women. And the early Christians were marked by humility and persecution, poverty and chastity. It's just not a great plan. 
And so we can have confidence that the explanations, the alternative explanations for the resurrection, for, for the explanations for how our faith started and grew, doesn't make sense. So we can have confidence in the resurrection. We can believe that it is the power of God. And if he lives, that changes everything. Because if he lives, then he's enthroned in heaven. And that's where we see him saying in verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. If he raised, then he's in control. And he has power. And that's helpful for us. Because we have anxieties, and we have fears, and we have disappointments. You know, it's good to know the love of God. And Drew talked about this last week, that we should pray, that we would be sealed with the love of Christ, that we would know that he loves us. And we need that. But we need more than that. We also need to believe in the power of Christ and understand the power of Christ. Uh, I, you might have heard that when we were in Panama, we were locked in our apartments uh, for about seven months with the, with the government. And it was a hard time, and my kids would come to me, and they would say, when's this going to end? Dad, this is horrible. And I would say, hey, listen, everything's going to be all right. It's, it's okay. It's going to be all right. And then eventually, after a couple of months, especially the older kids, they started realizing, Dad doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> this is... The Panamanian government never called me to ask me my opinion. I have no influence on this. Now, they knew that I loved them, and that's good. Certainly, it's better than the alternative, right? If I didn't like them or if I hated them, made them work as scullery maids and start every morning singing It's a Hard Knock Life, things could have been worse than they were. But imagine... Imagine that I was the same loving father, but with power, right? Then things change, right? They say, you got to stay in your apartment. I say, you stay in your apartment. <laughs> I'm in charge now. I got the power. But I don't. I don't have the power. And we can know God's love for us through the gospel. We know that he's, we were separated from him through our sins. He sent Jesus to live a, a perfect life, fully God, fully man. Go to the cross, take our sins on him, be punished for our sins so that we can be invited into a relationship with him. And then he died and he was buried, but then he rose again. Right? Quien vive? Quien vive? All right, he lives, right? That's the power. He loves us, so he died for us, but now he has power. And because he has power, we can have hope and confidence in the struggles that we face. So you have issues with finances. You're scared about your finances. Hey, I get it. So, so am I. I hear of a legend that gas was once under $2 a gallon. I, I never saw it. I was in Panama, but I heard about it. You know, I was an accountant before I became a missionary, classically trained accountant, which means I have a university degree in financial pessimism, right? <laughs> if, if you want to know somebody who can get dark about finances, I can get dark about finances, but here's the deal. I'm not in control. God's in control. Christ lives. Quien vive? 
He lives, and because he lives, and because he loves me, I can have peace even when the numbers don't look like I want them to look. Some of you have health fears, health anxieties. And those are real. Maybe you have a diagnosis, and you're facing some dark days, and you're confused, and you're disappointed, and you're scared. And it's good to know that God, Christ loves you. He loves you in this. That's true. But guess what? Quien vive? He lives. And if he lives, he's enthroned in heaven and he's in control. He loves us and he's in control. You have, you have worries about your family. And you can have anxieties about how things are going to turn out. But quien vive? He lives. Christ lives. And because he lives and rose from the dead, he's enthroned in heaven and he loves you. And so we can have reason for hope. You're nervous about your future. We can't control the future. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But quien vive? Christ lives. Because he lives, he's enthroned above. And we don't have to worry because he loves us. Maybe you're worried about your identity. Who am I? And you feel like you've got to make it up from scratch. But you don't. You don't have to be afraid of that. Because God loves you. Christ loves you. And what else? Quien vive? He lives. Because he lives and is enthroned on high, he created you, he's in control, and he loves you. So we can have hope. But now, whenever we talk about some of these things, sometimes people don't feel hope, they feel guilt. Because they think, yeah, Tony, you're right. Um, I have a lot of anxiety, I have a lot of disappointment, a lot of fear, and I should have more faith. And so it's like we have this stick that we just beat ourselves with. But you can just Put that down. Let's look at the beginning of the passage. Starting at verse 16. If you have it in your worship folders, it might be helpful. It says this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my, what's the word? Prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may what? Give. Give. A gift. Give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Typically, that's, people think that's the Holy Spirit. Having the eyes of your hearts, what? Enlightened, that you may know. Isn't what Paul doesn't say? Open your eyes wider. He doesn't say, come on, dummies, believe more. That's not what he's saying. He's not just saying, have more faith. He's saying the ability to see the reality of the power of God, the, just like last week, the ability to receive the sealing of the love was the work of the Holy Spirit, the ability to have the eyes to see the reality of the power of Christ is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not something you can do on your own. So you don't have to feel guilty about it, but you can pray. And I know so for some of you that's hard, right? You're like, when am I going to have extra time to pray? You try to get some alone time in the bathroom, and what happens? Little kids come, stick their fingers under the door. Very cute, but also like a weird horror movie monster. You're like, I just need five minutes. And that's why we have community. So that, uh, you know, when your head gets up above water, you can pray for somebody else. And when they get their heads above water, they can pray for you. So we should be talking to each other in our community groups, in our Bible studies or CBR groups, hey, pray for me and I'll pray for you. It's a little swap, a little deal. Why? Because it's so important to be in prayer that the Holy Spirit would give us these gifts. 
the sealing of the love of God, that we know we are loved, and eyes to see the reality of his power. I want you to be like the inspector who came to my house one time. He comes and uh, he says, uh, there's two options. You can pay the inspection fee or this list of repairs. And if you pay the repairs, you don't have to pay the inspection fee. So I look at that and I don't like it because I don't like spending money. And I say, I need some time to think about this. So I said, if I uh, pay you the inspection fee now, can I have that deducted from the repairs later? You know, can I get that, that same deal later? And he says, listen to me. I'm the owner's son. Yeah, we can make that happen. <laughs> wow, what a power move, right? I mean, he could have said, yes, this is our deal. This is what our company does. Of course you can have that. He could have flattered me with it, right? For you, Tony, anything. But he didn't. He made it by himself, right? I'm the owner's son. See, he's not the one with the power. If you're not dealing with the owner, who do you want to deal with? His son or his daughter, his child, right? Why? Because they have a special love relationship. When that guy says, I'm the owner's son, he's saying, I have special access to the, to the owner through love. He loves me. I'm accepted. I get the deals. I can get things done. I'm not the owner. I'm the owner's son. I think as we face our trials and difficulties in this life, disappointments and fears, it reminds us that we're not the owners. We don't have control. We're not able to, to, to do what we want to do. But we have a special loving relationship with the one who is the owner. You're not the owner, but you're the owner's son. You're the owner's daughter, and that's a good place to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the lengths you went to to display your love at the cross. And we also thank you for the way you displayed your power in the resurrection. We ask, Father, that you would seal our hearts so we would know your love. And that you would enlighten our eyes so that we could see the hope and the riches and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. The hope we have in the blessing is that... Because you're loved by Christ, he desires to bless you and keep you. And because he has power, power, and because he's the owner of all things, he has the ability to bless you and to keep you. See, when God thinks about you, it's with a smile on his face and a joy in his heart. Adopted children of God, receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, peace both now and forevermore. Amen.